Our text this evening is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. If you would turn there in your Bibles, found on page 1,289 of your pew Bibles. Before we begin reading from verse 14, let's ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, we come before you and open your word and come to a passage that has hard words, that makes clear distinctions, makes important distinctions between what is a faithless faith, what is a dead faith, and what is a real and true faith. This is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. We pray that you would open our minds to hear it. We pray that if there would be any here this evening who have not the true faith but a dead faith, that you would work, Holy Spirit, through your word and convict of sin. We pray for us here who believe, who have true faith, that this would not only give us a greater encouragement, but also spur us on to show that faith, to have it grow within us and produce all the more for your glory and honor Let us sit in humility before your word. We are ready, Lord. Speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. James 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Ascends the reading of God's word. A few scenarios and questions of faith and salvation that are all too real situations The first, upon the death of a man and his burial, a family member asks the pastor, did he make it to heaven? He had always claimed a faith, so he's saved, right? But the pastor knew that this man hadn't been going to church, this man hadn't been living according to God's law. What do we say? The second situation, a dear old saintly woman is laid up in the hospital at death's door, She's suffering, she's in agonizing pain, but the greatest pain she in is, isn't the physical, but that nagging question, am I going to heaven? 
How do I know I'm saved? I'm scared, she says. What do you say to such a woman? In the last scenario, a believing couple faces the pain of a pregnancy gone wrong and the loss of a child. They are grief-struck and want to know if they'll ever see their eight-month-old baby again. How do we know that we will see our child? Is our child saved, is what they say. In these three scenarios, you see a a very similar thread. It's salvation. How how are we saved? Is this person saved? They they bear those similarities, but there's a, a, a different way of answering each one. Each one takes a different nuance, a different explanation, a different way of going about it. That's why God's Word gives us differing ways of addressing the question of faith and salvation. Weighing the claims of faith is difficult but important and necessary, as these scenarios are not far-fetched. These are the ones that people face daily, and they're the important ones, and the ones James himself is dealing with. And so, as you apply God's Word, the believing couple ought to have full assurance that they will indeed see their infant child, Because this child is saved through the covenant that it is a part of in the belief of their parents, as God's word expresses and teaches, they will see their child again and can have that comfort and assurance. This dear old saintly woman who is in the hospital and dying and at that end of time facing that nagging question and doubt, she needs to be asked, well, where are you placing your faith? She needs to see that it isn't in a in a life that she can put before God and say, look how great I am, nor is it in a strength of her own faith. It is rather in clinging to Christ. To be reminded of that and then shown that she has a life to back up her faith. She has done and lived out her faith and to then to be brought to the assurance that no, you will be with your Father in heaven. You will see him again. Not that we handle that in a sloppy way or just cast aside the doubts at end of life, but walk them through the progression. How are you saved? To who do you cling? Christ himself. But she has a life that backs that up. Different from our first scenario of one who always claimed a faith, never shied away from a profession, always characterized himself as a Christian, and yet had no Christian life to speak of, had no fruit And that's the scenario that James addresses. You see, God's word has to respond to all these things. And this is why Paul can say in Galatians 2, chapter 2, verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. That's what Paul says in Galatians. But James says here in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. How do we, how do we deal with that apparent contradiction? Is it a contradiction? course not. We're dealing with different situations, different scenarios, and saying different things. Paul is concerned with the very mechanism of salvation. Paul is concerned with saying very clearly how we are saved and what is the faith that saves, whereas James is talking about something else. James is talking about the genuineness of faith, how faith and true faith is shown in true works. So they're talking about different things. They're emphasizing different things, I should say. Yes, dealing with 
faith and salvation, but coming at it in this different way. James is dealing with those who profess but don't produce. Those who profess but don't produce. And I want us to see the same thing today. This text automatically brings into our minds this consideration. Are we sheep that on judgment day will enter glory, or are we goats to be judged? This text asks that question. It puts it before us. We have to confront it. We ought to ask ourselves, is our faith real? Is it genuine? Does it pass this litmus test? Is it passing the test that James puts before it? And we have to understand what James is saying. He makes this provocative statement, and James is very comfortable with such statements. We've seen it already. He makes strong statements. He's trying to take his congregation, to take his readers, and arrest their attention for them to hear and say, wait, no, that, that's not, what? That's not right. James is saying this so that they would be struck and see the, either the failure of their faith or the, the truth of their faith. True faith is a producing faith, and you better show the difference. That's our theme. True faith is a producing faith, and you better show the difference. It's not you better know the difference here in James chapter 2. It includes that. But here James is not just saying no. He's saying show. And that's important with faith itself. Some people think this is a great passage to go to for works. Right? Is this not the passage, the proof text for works righteousness, being saved by works? Doesn't James say it's not by faith alone, it's by works that one is justified? But that's not it at all. You see, this passage is not fundamentally about works. This passage is fundamentally about true faith. That's James' goal. What is true faith? That's what he's asking. He's not primarily seeking to have the congregation increase the doing, increase the good works they do. That's a byproduct. He's interested that his congregation have true faith, and a true faith is one that produces. And so he gives four examples in our text, two that are the negative, two examples that are dead faith, and two examples that are real and true faith. James has been dealing with the topic in this book, what is true religion? And here he's getting at it. He's getting at the very center of what is true religion. What is a mature faith? And so first, we see dead faith. That's our first point, examining these dead faith. Charles Spurgeon is credited with saying, if you want to give a hungry man a tract, wrap it around a sandwich. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you want to give a hungry man a tract, if you want to present him the gospel message, wrap it around a sandwich. It better show that you love this person. Your actions better back it up. It better be given in an act of love. And that's what James begins with. This is his sentiment in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? He's making this ask, he's, he's giving this question, is this person's claim to faith a real faith? He doesn't even accord to that faith the true faith. He's not saying this is this man's faith. He's saying, is this claim to faith real? Can he claim a true 
faith can this save him? And then he gives that example of a poor brother or sister. One of the members of the congregation itself famished without daily provisions, so malnourished and ill-clothed that they might as well not have clothes on. The original word could even be translated perhaps as naked. That's how destitute this person is, so ill-equipped to deal with anything, and they come to you and you say, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. And James is saying, what good is that? only expressing well wishes when you could aid this brother and sister, not giving to them what they really need, not showing that love. What, what is the quality of that faith? Is there love for God and neighbor there, is what James says? Can that faith save? James is characterizing this person, this claimed faith, without action. And in verse 17, he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself, with no works, is dead. How can a believer claim to have the love of God and love of neighbor and then send such a person off on their way? You see, a true faith acts. A true faith would do what is right. But can a faith that is all right with seeing this and pass it on save? It isn't works that make it true faith. It's true faith that make the works. I'm going to say that again. That's very important. It isn't works that make it true faith. It's true faith that make the works. Having true faith would mean there's a response. Having true faith would produce something, whereas not having a faith would lead to that inactivity. How do we illustrate this? How do we illustrate what is perhaps a claim but not the real deal? I want to give the illustration of some of those fake candles you see in restaurants. And bear with me with this illustration. I think it will be helpful for us to see what is true faith and not. You may have seen it when you go into restaurants that there are such, such well-reproduced candles that are reproductions but aren't the real deal where you wonder, is that, is that a real candle? And from afar, you can't really tell. Maybe the glass is hiding it, and it, it mimics the flickering of the candle, and it looks very authentic. And how do you tell? You go up to this candle, and you can touch the glass. You could hold your hand over the top, and it would burn you if it was real. There would be a production of this candle. By the very nature that it's a candle, you see, a candle cannot burn and bring forth light without the heat. It must produce both light. It has to profess itself in light, and it will burn and produce a, a byproduct by its very nature, by its very essence. But a fake candle may produce a profession, a claim that it is a candle, that it is a genuine candle, and if you were to hold your hand over it, there wouldn't be that heat. There would be no smoke. There would be nothing there to show that it was indeed a real candle, but there is a profession. The heat doesn't make it a candle, but it does produce heat by the very essence that it is a candle. You see, our works don't make our faith real faith. It is the fact that we have true faith, that you are a true believer, that you produce, as our illustration would show, that heat of the candle. Now to dig a little deeper, even with this illustration, there are those who perhaps mimic not only a profession like a fake candle, but mimic 
the production of real faith. There are such things as heaters. Heaters that may produce that, that warmth and that heat, but it is as well not a real candle. What am I getting at with this? There are those who may live by what we could see to be a, a, a godly life, but have no profession of faith. There are those that give. There are many unbelievers that prevent, pre- presented with James' same scenario would clothe this person and feed them and give all the, the, the seeming production of what is good works but lack that profession of faith. You see, there's two dangers here. There's the danger of mimicking a profession but not producing anything real. And there's the danger of producing not what is technically real because they're not truly good works but something that look like that and lacking the profession. And James is weeding through all of this. He's going through all this and he's showing it's not this but this. It's not that, it's this. He's walking that line and showing this nuance to see what is true faith. So the first example of a dead faith is the man who doesn't act upon it. The first example of the dead faith is the one confronted with a brother in need and he says, go on, farewell. Be clothed and be fed. He doesn't act. There is no works there. There is no heat from the candle in our illustration. It isn't real. It isn't genuine. The second example of dead faith is a claim. This comes in verse 18. James deals with an interjection from a supposed person arguing back to him, giving him some kind of answer. And it is claimed here in this verse and following that both faith and works can be equal gifts of God. One can have faith. That's a gift. And others can have works. That's a gift. One can have faith and delight in statements of faith, delight in knowledge, and might not have works, but their gift is faith. And another person has these works, and they don't have that faith, but that's fine. Both are equal. Both are gifts of God. But James responds and shows that this isn't true, that this can't be true. James responds to this interjection, and he says, and shows that faith without works is dead. He says, I will show you my faith by my works, is what James said. How else can it be shown? That's a good question to ask. How can true faith, real faith, be shown? Well, it's shown in a life. It's shown in works. Not saved in those works, but it produces Talk can be very cheap. Anyone can make a profession. But not everyone can mimic the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a true believer who is broken of their sin, who grows in holiness, who puts to death the deeds of of the old man within them, who rises to a new life and becomes more holy. That can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. And it may be at times for us hard to tell in others. We may see a seemingly good production of works. Maybe we see a good profession of faith. It can be difficult at times to tell, but a whole life bears it out. And this is what we have to ask ourselves. Do we truly believe? What does James say? Verse 19, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What is James saying in this verse? First, he quotes from a creed, an Old Testament creed. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Perhaps the most famous declaration of Orthodox faith the Old Testament had to offer, the basis of monotheism itself, that our God is one, a profound profession of faith. And he says to his audience, you say that God is one. You make an Orthodox profession of faith. And then he says, very well. The demons believe this and shudder. You see what James is really saying there is that the demons have a better faith than you. What is he meaning by that? He's saying even the demons believe that, and at least there's a production in their hearts. The production is that they shudder. Whereas his own audience who need to hear this are those who don't even shudder at it. They don't even quake. Demons are some of the most orthodox individuals, call them individuals, beings, that you can think of. They know that God is one. They know that God is all-powerful. They know that Jesus is the Son of God. And they know that he came to save those people that he has died for. They ultimately know they are defeated and judged. They know all these things. There's that knowledge in their heads. They even assent to its truth and know it will happen. But there isn't a faith there. You see how close even claimed believers can be to demons themselves? Lord is one. Or we could update his example. The Apostles' Creed, I profess it. The Nicene Creed, we just professed it before this message. I, I believe it. I know it's true. We can say that. Is there a real faith? Does it work out? Are we placing all our hopes for Judgment Day on a mere word that has no backing, where there is no production? Are we clinging to the same faith that the demons have? It's chilling. Demons believe and shudder. He says in verse 20, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Take a serious look at your life. You can know the fine points of theology. You might be able to quote the Heidelberg Catechism and the Belgic. You might be able to go through all the points of the canons of Dort. You may know all of the creeds. You may even believe that they're true and still be lacking a real faith. You need to ask yourself, we all need to ask ourselves such questions. Am I still characterized by the sins of my past? Is there growth in me? Have I experienced any progression in my fight against lust or anxiety or greed or pride or anger or gossip or lies, whatever it is? Or has it just stayed the same? Do I love the Lord? Do I seek Him? Do I draw near to Him? Do I want to know Him more? Or is this just a charade that gives me some kind of peace in this earth? Ask yourself these questions. True faith is a producing faith. And this text from James helps us to, to, ev- to elevate properly the importance of works in a Christian life. We will, like Paul, be very clear we are not saved by them. We better have that knowledge and that understanding. We are not saved 
by our, by our works and what we do, but we also better understand how important works are to show, show and prove the genuineness of our faith. These are the examples of what is dead faith, and now we move to the examples of living faith. Here's the example of Abraham and Rahab. He uses these two to show what true faith is. He chooses these very purposefully. You have Abraham, the founder of the faith, the one with whom God covenanted, the the father of all who would come after him. Here's that prime example of Israel's very pride and joy, the heroic figure, Abraham himself. And then he takes Rahab, a Gentile woman and prostitute. And by doing so, he's covering the whole range of people. He has taken the example of that prime example, and the one who wasn't an Israelite, wasn't descended from that, was a woman and who was a Gentile and a a sinning Gentile. On top of that, a, a prostitute. And how were they saved? The text says in verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then verse 24 says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now to properly understand what James is saying here, we have to dig into this. James, again, is not talking about the way we normally speak of justification. He is talking about being a faith made manifest, a faith proven genuine, a faith shown. And so when he says that Abraham, our father, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? What he means when he says justified there is you could substitute perhaps the word proven. Was not Abraham our father proven by works when he offered up his son Isaac? The the text that James is quoting from is Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God gives the promises of the covenant to Abraham. And Abraham believes that there will be his seed and a line from him that would descend, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. This is the covenant of grace itself. And it says there in chapter 15 that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Now the reason that's important is this happened 20 to 30 years before he offered Isaac on the altar. So you see, James is not saying here that Abraham was justified by works. In Genesis 15, we read that the Lord had counted it, had credited it, the righteousness of Abraham, according to belief. And so what James is saying here, in other words, is that Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness, proving true again Abraham's faith. By his works, he obeyed God, and in that sacrifice, his, proof, his faith was proven yet again. James is speaking not to say Abraham was justified in the sense of considered righteous before God by works, but rather his action bore witness to God that his faith was genuine and real. That is what James is saying. In verse 22, he says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. What does he mean when he says faith is completed by his works? He's not saying that it was faith is lacking and you need works to make it real. What he's saying is that true faith is shown to be mature, is shown to be the right and true faith, and in that sense, completed by works. Works are there to back up the claim. The production of real faith is there. It's a mature faith. It's expressed. And that's what James is saying about Abraham, an example of true faith. 
one who believed and was counted righteous before God because of faith, and one through his actions showed the genuineness of that faith, even to offer his own son on an altar to trust in the Lord in that way. What a great, what greater example of faith and what is a true faith than the deeds of Abraham obeying the Lord and his word in that moment. And that's what James is saying. There's more than to this one meaning of justification. Paul uses it to mean gracious imputation or crediting of righteousness, of taking the righteousness of Christ and crediting it to our account. That's the way Paul uses it, but James means showing or manifesting that righteousness by our conduct. A man may claim to be a musician. A man may claim to be able to play the guitar. The only way to show that claim true is to give a guitar and let him play. Talk is cheap. James says the same. Talk of faith is cheap unless it is shown and lived. Rahab, he says, her belief was made genuine, in this sense, by her actions. You see, she didn't just speak and say, I believe, I trust in the God of Israel. What did she do? She forsook her own people. She housed the spies, and she threw herself in with the lot of the people of Israel. She trusted the Lord. She placed faith in the God of Israel and showed that faith in what she did. Pretty close example to the one James began, actually. What if Rahab had said, you know, you spies, I know you need a place to stay. I wish you very well. I trust in your God. Now be on your way. That's not what Rahab did. She she put all of her eggs in that one basket. She placed her whole faith in God himself and showed that faith by taking in the spies, thus manifesting her own faith. That's James' point. As we think of this, we again have to ask that question, is your faith real? Good works matter. We can even say that good works are required for righteousness. That good works are required for righteousness, but we deny that they have the power to make us righteous. They are what a true faith produces. Use this text as your guide to true faith. As you question your own faith, and this isn't designed to cause those who have true faith to doubt. It's, cause, it's, it's written this way, and James is speaking to those who don't have faith to be shaken. But the Holy Spirit would use this to produce that true faith. Don't use this text to make it all about you. And this is very important. Don't walk away from this text and say, i got to do more good works. Don't walk away from this text with that as the primary takeaway, because that's a failure to understand what James is saying. James is not saying all of this to say, do better and produce good works. Yes, he wants that, certainly. But what James is saying to do is to seek true faith in Christ. That's the takeaway of this. Have true faith there. Remember his whole point is what is genuine faith. Don't walk away thinking, yeah, i got to do better. Ultimately, this text is not a direction for those without faith to seek 
works. It's for those who fail the test of fruitful faith to seek real faith by which they will produce good works. You need living faith first. You get into a car that has no engine, and you can pump the gas as much as you want, and you can turn the key as much as you want, and you can keep doing those things, and you can keep trying to produce something with this car, but there's no engine there. It won't run. And James is saying you need the engine first. And when you have the engine, you will run and you will produce. Seek genuine faith in Christ. This is his whole goal. James isn't after good works at the expense of real faith. He's after real faith that produces good works. And that's all that matters. That's the difference between life and death. That's the difference we better know, and that's the difference we better show. First, having real faith, a faith that produces, a faith like Abraham and Rahab's that was shown and proven, or witness to the truth of the claim that we made. True faith is a producing faith, and you better show the difference. Seek it in Christ, people of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you having heard these words, these words that show the difference between what is a false faith faith and a true faith. We pray that we would properly understand it, that we would see and know that we are not saved by our works, that our works account for none of our righteousness before you. All of that is credited to us in Christ. But to know as well that a true faith is always accompanied by, by works, and doing good. And so we pray that we would take the meaning of James and apply it, that we would seek true faith evermore, that we would seek a greater strength of faith, and thus in that, seek to do your will, seek to do good, and to love you and to love neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name.